But you know, it was, uh, I think it was a few weeks ago, you mentioned or maybe cried about or, wind, or you know, what it, whatever it was about not having a video, a, a video made of, you know, just your, 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 your gloriousness. And so this is just for you, man. So here you go. Now, when they invite somebody, they'll come out to fanfare and music and a really flashy video like the kind Russ has made for everybody else but me. But me, but me. Hey, Highland, this is Eric. Hey, Highland, this is Eric. What will I be when I grow up? I kind of like the Winyard of Love. What's going on with the Wi Fi? When do you crave Chick fil A most? Sunday. So I've talked to you before about my little church in Cottonwood, Texas. At Cottonwood Church of Christ in West Texas. Back in Cottonwood, where I preached before coming here. I was here. a senior at ACU, Abilene Christian, and I love Abilene Christian. I'm an awesome husband. I'm basically dominating this whole dad thing. Now, preachers talk about everyone being God's child, but when you took home a trophy from Bible Bowl, you kind of knew you were God's favorite kid. God's favorite kid. Hey, Highland family. This is Eric Your associate preaching minutes. Well, let's see, am I on? Good morning, good morning. Am I on, can you hear me? Give it up for... <sighs> oh, I guess. Oh, man, I don't know what to say. <laughs> Thanks, Russ. It's about time, that's what I should say. It's about time, oh, wow. Oh, oh man, I'm way thrown off. I don't know how to how to get going. Um, <clears throat> Happy Valentine's Day! Happy Valentine's Day, man. Uh, well, I wish Lindsay could have seen that. She would have. That would have got her in the Valentine's mood right there. Uh, oh man. You know, maybe you've been. Um, uh, wives, let me talk to wives. You know, maybe you've been seeing all those pictures on social media of husbands that took their wives on romantic weekend Valentine's getaways, and yet you're here. And so maybe, you know, I just think you should, you should be thanking the Lord because your husband is just so holy that he wanted to be here instead of on some romantic getaway. So thanks God for that. Um, I, I was going to preach about love today for Valentine's, but uh, then I walked out this morning without my wedding ring on, so clearly I don't know anything about it. <laughs> and uh, so we're going to talk about something totally different. Oh, goodness. 81%, 81% of us at Highland feel busy, stressed, or tired. 81%. That's what you said on that survey we did a while back, that 81% of you, of we, of us, feel busy, stressed, or tired. You know there is a solution to that. Stop it. Maybe you've seen that old Bob Newhart skit where he's a therapist, woman comes into his office who's deathly afraid of being buried alive in a box. Have you seen this? Deathly afraid of being buried alive in a box. And he says, okay, stop it. She doesn't like that kind of therapy. He says, okay, okay, write this down. Uh, stop it or I'll bury you alive in a box, right? Okay, nobody, nobody wants to be buried alive in a box, but nobody wants to be busy and stressed and tired. You, you don't want to feel that way every day, but you do. So I guess the question we're going to think about today is, 
Can you afford to stop it? What we're doing today in this new series, Idol, we're, we're going to start it off. We're talking about rest, and what I want to do to begin is just some Bible study. So if you're willing to, today will be a little bit different. We're going to be in the Word kind of the whole time, Exodus 20 and Exodus 5 and Exodus 1. If you've got your Bible, you may want to open it up, but I'll have the text behind me. This is just some Bible study. So you, you remember the Exodus. That escape out of Egypt, you've got God parting the Red Sea, the Ten Commandments, Mount Sinai, manna in the desert. You remember the Exodus. You remember that. But have you ever asked yourself, what was the Exodus from? What was the Exodus from? Why an Exodus? Now, if you were to answer that question, Egypt, the Exodus was from Egypt, you'd be partially right, but not totally If you were to say the exodus was from slavery, you'd be closer, getting a little hotter, but you're not quite there. Okay, there's a little more to it. More being the key word. So Egypt's operating principle is more. A ruthless and restless production of more at all costs. That's how Egypt is introduced to us in Genesis. Joseph arrives in Egypt and begins to collect grain for Pharaoh. Remember this? And the text says in Genesis, he collects so much grain in store cities for Pharaoh that it outnumbers the sand of the seashore. He just has to give up counting it. It's It's just too much. He just stops counting, the text says, more and more. But all that grain, all those store cities, all that piled up wealth, it's just not enough. It's not enough for Egypt, it's not enough for its leaders, for its gods. The taste of more just makes them hungrier for more and more and more. So that's why they enslave Israel. If you look in Exodus 1, there is this talk about Egypt becoming afraid because Israelites are in their land and they're becoming too numerous. And if they get numerous in our country, they're going to get dangerous. You've You never heard anything like that. That's just a side note. Okay, but if they really thought they were dangerous, Egypt is not politically correct. They would have just killed them. But they don't do that. Instead, they enslave them. So pay attention here. The political leaders make everybody afraid of the Israelites so that they won't mind enslaving the Israelites. And then the goal is accomplished because now they're valuable. They're not threatening at all. They're they're cheap labor in this grind of endless production, more and more and more and more. So look at verse 11, chapter 1. So they, Egypt, put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor, and they built Pithom and Ramses as store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and worked them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with harsh labor and brick and mortar, with all kinds of work in the fields and all their harsh labor. The Egyptians worked them ruthlessly, it says. Leave this text up there for a second, Russ. So, so what did Israel, what was their job in slavery? It wasn't just generic to be slaves. What were they doing? Okay, look at the text, see if you can figure it out. They're making bricks and mortar to build cities for Pharaoh, but not cities for people to live in, people for Pharaoh to keep all of his stuff. 
stuff that they are then producing. We're talking about grain, which equals wealth in this world. Okay? So they're, they're making bricks out of straw to build cities for Pharaoh to keep more and more and more stuff, not for people to live in. And who are the cities named after? Do you see it? Pithom and Ramses. The cities are named after Egypt's gods. Are you following? I think you're, I think you're getting it. So let's, let's kind of paint out this bigger picture here, what's happening. Egypt's gods don't rest. They can't rest at all because their glory is dependent on the wealth of Egypt more and more. So Pharaoh can't rest because he answers to this, these gods who demand increasing glory. So his supervisors can't rest because he has enforced upon them production schedules that they can't possibly keep to satisfy the gods. The slave masters can't rest because they've got to meet these quotas the supervisors have placed on them, which they can't possibly hope to meet, but they keep trying. And the slaves down at the bottom of the scale can't rest at all because they've got to satisfy the slave masters who've got to satisfy the supervisors, who've got to satisfy Pharaoh, who is trying desperately to satisfy these insatiable gods who just can't be satisfied. You see it? More and more. Every step along the the path requires more. More and more and more. The whole system, slavery and all, is all about more. So that's why in Exodus 2, God hears Israel groaning. Because for 400 years in a system like that, they have not been able to rest once. You can't if that's your job. Can you imagine that groan? Maybe you don't have to imagine it. Maybe it is the same groan that escapes your lips in the morning when your alarm clock goes off. All right, you hit the alarm and your first, or you swipe your phone. And your first thought is, I didn't get enough sleep. I didn't get enough sleep. And your second thought is, oh, I don't have enough time. Right? Have you been there before? Lynn Twist says it like this. We spend most of the hours and the days of our lives hearing, explaining, complaining, or worrying about what we don't have enough of. Before we even sit up in bed, before our feet touch the floor, we're already inadequate, already behind, already losing, already lacking something. And by the time we go to bed at night, our minds are racing with a litany of what we didn't get or didn't get done that day. We go to sleep burdened by those thoughts, and we wake up to that reverie of lack, worship of lack. This internal condition of scarcity, this mindset of scarcity, not having enough, lives at the very heart of our jealousies, our greed, our prejudice, and our arguments with life. Scarcity, that's that's the word, isn't it? That's the word for what Israel is exodus out of. And yet, that is the word that describes how we feel every day. 81% of us, that we need just a little bit more. If we had just a little more time, a little more energy, a little more money, a little bit more of ourselves to go around, if we could just have a little bit more. Richard Beck is this ACU professor, and he says that this, what we're describing right here, is the single greatest challenge to formation of people spiritually today. The single greatest challenge. Because you come to church, like this church, and you hear someone like me or Chris or someone else say, we want you to be involved in this, i.e., we want you to do a little bit more. Okay, We want you to be a little more spiritual. We want you to be a little more prayerful. 
We want you to read your Bible more. We want you to serve a little bit more. We want you to give a little bit more. We want you to be a more on-fire follower of Jesus. And what you hear is more and more and more. And that just sounds kind of exhausting. So you leave and this equation forms in your mind that Jesus equals exhausting. Have you ever felt that? Can I get an amen? No, don't amen that. Don't amen that. But have you ever felt that way? Jesus equals exhausting? Okay, but here's the deal. Jesus can't be the problem. We know that. Jesus says, come to me all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I'll give you rest. This beautiful passage Chris is going to lead us into next week. So if Jesus isn't the problem, what's the problem? Or let me put it like this. You don't need me to convince you to rest. You already want to rest. You're just not resting. So why not? Why not? I think the answer is shame. I think we are enslaved to scarcity, and scarcity uses shame to keep us that way, to keep us busy and restless, doing what it wants so that we never call scarcity to account. Want me to explain? Let me try. So I've got this buddy here at Highland who recently took a new job. And he took the new job because he, he just, he loved the job he had before. He was working with this great boss, really loved what he was doing, had good hours, but he just, he just wasn't making quite enough money. Money was always tight. And I mean, he had enough to live on, but he couldn't get all the things that he wanted. And his friends would kind of have those things. And he, he wanted those things, but just couldn't afford it because of this job. So that's shame right? Pay attention to what that is. That's shame. Shame of not having enough. So he takes this new job where he's guaranteed, guaranteed more pay and better hours. Okay. But as soon as he starts the job, his new boss starts asking him to work unpaid overtime. And he says things like, I thought you were a team player. I thought you were a hard worker. You know, the team, the team is depending on you. Have you ever heard that? Okay, so now it's not only his income that's at stake, but his reputation, his self-worth. Because he doesn't want to be seen as not important, as not needed, as not a team player, right? So it was shame, the shame of not having enough that got him in the system, and it's the shame of not being enough that keeps him in the system. All right, you seen how those two work together? Okay. Brene Brown calls this the shame-based fear of being ordinary. Of being ordinary. Nobody wants to be ordinary. And this is scarcity's trap. Or the language, to use the language we've already adopted, this is how scarcity enslaves us. And this is the trap that Pharaoh's in. Like, let's be, let's be sympathetic to Pharaoh for a second. He is not the Israelites are not the only ones who are slaves in Egypt. Pharaoh is just as much enslaved to the system that he didn't create as the, Egypt, as the Israelites are. Excuse me. Israelites are only the tool in the same system that Pharaoh's caught up in. And we know this because when Moses tells Pharaoh, let my people go, look at this in Exodus 5. If you've got your Bible, flip over to Exodus 5. When Moses says, let my people go, Pharaoh panics. 
because his self-worth is tied to Egypt's production of more and more and more. So if he lets the Israelites rest for a day and stop producing, then the gods he answers to and the people who answer to him are going to think, well, he's kind of just ordinary. He's not that important because he doesn't have more and more and more at an unceasing pace. So his response is this, get back to your work. He says, says, the same day Pharaoh gave this order, this is verse 7, to the slave drivers and overseers in charge of the people, you are no longer to supply the people with straw for making bricks. Let them go and gather their own straw, but require them to make the same number of bricks as before. Don't reduce the quota. They are lazy. That's why they're crying out. Let us go and sacrifice to our God. We'll make the work harder for the people so that they keep working and pay no attention to lies. It goes on in verse 13. The slave drivers kept pressing them, Israelites, saying, complete the work required of you for each day, just as when you had straw. And Pharaoh's slave drivers beat the Israelite overseers that they had appointed, demanding, why haven't you met your quota of bricks yesterday or today as before? Pharaoh says, lazy. That's what you are, lazy. Now get to work. You will not be given any straw, yet you must produce your full quota of bricks. The pace, the pace is relentless. There's no time to rest when you're caught up in this scarcity trap. What Pharaoh shows us is that the longer you are enslaved to scarcity, the busier you will be, the more ruthless you will be to others, and the more ashamed you will be when you pause for a moment to consider the possibility of at some point resting for just a bit. This is not what God wants for us. It's not what God wants. We know this because God busted his people out of that very experience. He exodused them from this very trap. So to be clear, God expects us to take up our cross and follow him, which I believe at times will require hard, restless work. The kind of stuff maybe your church, this church, asks you to do from time to time. But God wants that work to flow from a place of restfulness of peace, of centeredness, and not restlessness, or worse, shame. So God offers this solution in Exodus 20. It says, stop it. Well, the Hebrew is a little bit different. That's my my translation. You're just going to have to trust me on that. God God tells Israel to stop it every week for a day. And he calls this Sabbath. Take a day off every week. You and everybody who answers to you, all the people around you in your community, everybody should just stop for a day and take the day off. And this is how he starts the Ten Commandments. This is one of the Ten Commandments, which he gives Israel. But he reminds them of the reason he's given it to them. So this is how the Ten Commandments start. We usually skip over this to get to one, two, three, four, and five, and so on. This is actually how it starts. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, what's Egypt called? The land of slavery. It's not just a nebulous place, a bad place. It's a land where something specific was happening. You were enslaved. So then God begins the commandments. And the fourth, just a few verses later, is about Sabbath. So when we talk about Sabbath typically, 
as people who don't practice Sabbath and don't know a lot about it, what we typically cite is the passage I'm about to read in the Ten Commandments and not this passage first, which is how the commandments start, which set the context for it. You see, the Sabbath isn't just about God's people resting because God rested on the seventh day of creation. There's that critical first piece we just read. So we would actually say it like this. I busted you out of a land where rest was not possible so that you could rest and in resting be more like me, the God who rests. Well, I busted you out of that so that you could do this. And this is what he says. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God, and on it you shall not do any work. Neither you, nor your son, or your daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that's in them, but he rested on the seventh day, and therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So I'm not as we begin this series and as I end this sermon, let me just point out, I'm not advocating a legalistic observance of Sabbath for you, you know, New Testament believers. Uh, I don't think you need to walk here on Sunday morning, for example, like our Jewish counterparts might, although it would do you some good, you know. <laughs> Assuming you don't get hit out on Houston Levy, I, I think it'd be a good thing for you. That's not what I'm saying. You, you might notice that the Ten Commandments, look at them in Exodus 20, the Ten Commandments. You, you think those Ten Commandments, that they're all good ideas. Even as somebody who follows Jesus, right? You think, well, these are all really good principles. I don't, I don't murder. You know, I, I try not to covet. I don't think you should. Don't use the Lord, Lord's name in vain. Excuse me. I, I think all of these are really good things. But, but for some reason, we think, well, the Sabbath is kind of the one that we throw out. And you might say, well, that's because Jesus breaks the Sabbath frequently in the New Testament. So the Sabbath is kind of the one of the Ten Commandments that doesn't jump from the Old to the New Testament. That's, a, that's not a good way to read the Bible. Okay, because Jesus, when he breaks the Sabbath, does it why? To help people. To heal people, to feed his friends. So he's not saying rest is a bad thing. He's saying don't let a good idea keep you from helping somebody. Don't let legalism prevent you from being compassionate. That's what that's about. The problem is that when we threw out Sabbath as a rule, which I think was a good idea, we threw out rest as a principle, which was a bad idea. So that when somebody asks us how we're doing, it's this badge of honor to say, I'm really busy, you know, just staying busy, just staying busy. And you're not lying, it's true, but you hate it, right? You hate that when you're at home with your kids, like you can't help but check your email to see what, what, what's happening at work. You, you hate that about yourself. You hate that you can't be present. We all, we all do. So, well, stop it. Stop it or I'll bury you alive in a box. <laughs> this idle series coincides with the season of Lent, which Christians across the world celebrate in the 40 days leading up to Easter. And, and you may not know a lot about Lent. It's a time of intentional fasting to prepare yourself for reflection on the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ at Easter. Okay, that's what it's about. Historically, churches of Christ haven't really celebrated Lent often, and it's for a lot of the same reason we don't typically talk about Sabbath. 
because it's not commanded in the New Testament, and giving up chocolate doesn't seem to compare to giving your life on the cross, right? Okay, which, which is not a good interpretation of Lent and an attitude that can keep us from a principle that could do us some good, i.e., intentional seasons of fasting, like taking intentional time off from work and busyness, okay, can remind you of what God has done for you. Because when you're constantly in motion, your perception is everything's dependent on you, and you lose sight of the fact nothing's dependent on you. Everything's dependent on God, who has proven his faithfulness again and again, stretching all the way back from when he busted you out of that old system. Right? Over the next few weeks, Chris and we'll be preaching more about Sabbath. And then next week, this is, this is really special. I want to put this on your radar. Jackie Halstead is coming, who's a noted professor and um, spiritual director. She's coming to lead us in some focused time about Sabbath. This is going to happen during class time next week. And then also Saturday night before that, she's going to do a special session that I think you want to be a part of. How do you stop? How do you stop it? And start to rest. That's what she's going to be talking about. Be still and know that I'm God. Maybe, okay, to end here, maybe you are as rested as you can be. But probably not. <laughs> probably not. More likely, you're one of that 81% who are busy, stressed, and tired. And if so, if that's you, maybe it is time to stop it. What if, during the next 40 days, you spend a little bit of time resting? in Sabbath. What if? Because it is not for slavery to scarcity or shame that God brought us up out of Egypt. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. So stop it and be free. I want to end today in a, in a special way. We've got a number in our body who are, are not well right now who are dealing specifically with cancer. We have a number that are dealing with other things too. But it seems like a really difficult time when it comes to that sickness of cancer right now. Amy Bethay is going to have an operation in Nashville this Wednesday. So I want to stop right now and pray for her and all those others. And then we'll continue in worship and, and close out this service. But can we stop and do that right now? God, you are a faithful God. And we're reminded this morning that our obedience to you is based on your long-standing faithfulness to us. Uh, that from the ancient times, you've heard your people as they cried out, and you have responded with rescue and freedom and peace. And I pray that, God, right now, for all those in this body who feel busy and stressed and tired especially for those who are not well, who have something invading their bodies that's, that's foreign and toxic. And, and God, I just pray that you liberate them from that. And I pray this with boldness, God. I pray that you hear us and you provide healing as the great physician. I pray for Gary and Cliff and for Bud and for Sharon and for others that I'm not thinking about right now who are dealing with cancer, and I pray for the day when it is eradicated from the face of the world. God, right now, I pray especially for Amy and for Jay and for Chesney and Emma, and I pray that this surgery this week is a great success.
that we will look back on this and see the way in which you were faithful no matter the outcome, that your presence will be undeniable, and that your peace will be magnified in their lives day by day. God, we trust you with their care, as, and I pray that you help us to surround them in love. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. We stand and worship with me. My chains are gone. I've been set free.